What's up, guys? This is the It Ain't Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Charanson. Let's get it. Today, we have Connor Emini on the podcast today. Really excited. Uh, he's an Ironman competitor. Uh, I think it's been five that you've competed in so far, and he wants to be the youngest man to compete in six different continents across the globe. Connor, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, Dom. So stoked to be here. Cool. Um, so I think we know, you know, with Ironmans comes an insane amount of training. Um, what we don't know is where did you get the mindset from and maybe take us back to elementary, Connor. Where did you grow up? Uh, what was school like for you? What did you? What kind of sports did you participate in? Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in uh, in Toronto. Had two older brothers. Pretty average kid, to be honest. Played every sport that that kind of came my way: soccer, volleyball, so- um, hockey, uh, a little ping pong here and there, okay. and just kind of always was obsessed with playing and running around and. Um, I think having two older brothers, you know, being three years older than I was, I quickly kind of became pretty competitive to get to their level. Um, and so soon enough, I was playing like three years higher in hockey for a summer and cool. just kind of like always had this competitiveness side to me. But um, yeah, I just I just love to compete, love to win and love to challenge myself from like a pretty early age. Oh, that's awesome. And I think as athletes, it comes natural to us. We understand like um, what kind of dedication is required at that age to play like that kind of uh, club system of hockey or whatever it may be. Um, for those that don't understand, could you explain like what is kind of like the day to day for you? This is probably age six you started playing hockey, but when it got really competitive for you, uh, what age was that, and uh, what were the day today's looking like? Yeah, so I mean, I played kind of house hockey up until I was maybe, you know, 10, 12, 13 years old. So that was kind of once, twice a week. But um, as soon as I hit kind of grade five and six and seven, then it started to pick up and I uh, started playing rep hockey, double A. Um, and we were playing, you know, two games a week with like two to three practices, depending on the time mm. of the year. Yep. Uh, so I would go to school um, pack my bag, hockey bag, my dad would pick me up and we'd go straight to the game right after school or, uh, do like long road trips on the weekend for a destination tournament. But yeah, sports always was kind of this priority around life. It was like something that you meet all your friends with, you, you kind of learn who you are and challenge yourself, but it was always kind of fun up until, um, I went to, uh, St. Mike's, which was grade sevens through 12. Um, and that was kind of a sports oriented school, had a lot of really cool athletes and bred athletes from that school program. Um, anywhere from NHL hockey players to track, track, like Olympic athletes. And so getting early into that school, I played competitive hockey on their St. Mike's team and, um, did cross country track every, every, every kind of program you could do but it was full on and I remember like days going to practice at 6 a.m before school started and that's Mm -hmm. like kind of when it got real of developing this mindset of like putting in the work early hours getting up early kind of doing things that would be challenging before the day even started and I think that kind of molded me into that mindset of taking on harder challenges discovering where my limits lie and trying to be the best person I could be around these top level kind of performers in around you. Right. Mm -hmm. So just rising up to the occasion. Absolutely. Uh, when it comes to, you know, like I said before, like we keep, we really take it for granted, but there's so many lessons to be learned at the grassroots just with regards to mental toughness. You're talking about 6am ice time and like waking up. And that's some things that probably 90%, 95% of children or teens at your age aren't doing so you're already building kind of this platform for you know creating separation people talk about like 5 a.m club and all that stuff but it's like without even being aware of it like we're subconsciously developing this mindset that's like so much stronger and you know i'm sure that carries into business it carries into like your academics etc um 
What about just like the school environment? You said you went to St. Mike's. Was that like a private school? It was, yeah. 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 So so what was like the private school environment like? Was it cliquey? Was it like traditional high school? What did that look like? Yeah, so I mean was was fortunate to go to to St. Mike's. I think it's an incredible school and I mean it was an all guy school, but I didn't kind of come from that like super privileged like place to afford to go there. It was more I was on bursary and kind of got some scholarships through through the like the application process of doing well on the the entry test and kind of going there specifically for sports as well. Cool. Um, so that kind of you know, I, I felt like this immediate a lot of pressure on me to like I didn't deserve to be there you know Mm -hmm. like it wasn't just kind of handed to me so there was like we're giving you this ticket that maybe um there's like a better person to be there but I felt like I had something to prove right from grade seven and I think that was like something that was on my mind throughout the whole schooling of like fitting in with with everyone else and dressing the certain way we had a uniform and you know we had to be on time like on time was 15 minutes early to class like if you're there if you're not there when the bell goes like you're sitting outside the classroom for for that period right like mm-hmm. they the the three the mantra was teach me goodness discipline and knowledge so i think discipline was such a such a forefront for you know, students at an early age from grade seven through through 12. And you see, like, at grade seven, you're this little kid, and you see grade 12s who are, you know, getting full-ride scholarships to Syracuse or, like, making March Madness teams that you idolize. And you're like, wow, like, Absolutely. looking up to these kids as giants. And you're like, how am I going to get there one day? But Yeah. And that realization is, like, so powerful. as Like you said, a grade seven versus a grade 12 because there's so much room for growth in that, like, seven to ten where – the mindset isn't just like, okay, I'm competing with these 10th graders. Like you said, I'm competing against like the best that's going all across the country for different things. That's a special experience. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was pretty special. And, and I mean, at the time, like hockey was kind of my sport, what I loved the most, like, I think, you know, most Canadian born kids, like hockey is mm-hmm. kind of our patriotic sport and we're proud to play. So, you know, you have pictures of hundreds of NHL hockey players that would, that came through the program or, you know, play at the arena beside the school and they have training camps in the summer where mm. you see like PK Subban or um, Connor McDavid or like crazy athletes that, you know, you watch on TV coming and training out of these programs. And yeah. it just like opens your mind. And like now looking in hindsight, like some of the guys I walk the hallways with are in the NHL or, um, you know, in the Olympics and, and are like doing some pretty cool things. And mm-hmm. I think looking back, you see like through osmosis being in the environment, you start to pick up these characteristics like inherently that you, you might not even seek out and kind of what you said about growing up, there's so many lessons you learn before you can even comprehend the lesson. Yeah. And, and moving into kind of like the next phase for you, was that at uh, Queens University? Yeah. 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 So, um, did you continue to play sports? Yes. Yes and no. So, I mean, yeah. I, uh, I didn't end up, I, I was at the, t- in grade 12 after kind of com- playing competitive hockey and, um, I played on our St. Michael's majors team and it was kind of this new division where we would travel throughout the States, um, mm-hmm. and play all the state schools, um, and try to get noticed to get a, a scholarship. And so, at the time, I was deciding uh, to go to the States and play for a school called Robert Morris, which is in Pittsburgh, yep. to play hockey. Um, or I got into a good program at Queens, and my hockey coach at the time also went to Queens, and he was he was a commerce graduate, and he kind of sat me down and kind of outlined my options for me and, and pretty much persuaded me or, or convinced me that Queens might be the better, better, better route for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, I always loved sports, but I felt like at a time it was kind of time to hang up the skates and focus on my like academic career and, um, you know, put my my education first. And sports was always kind of something I enjoyed. So I did intramurals in the first year and eventually tried out for, you know, the triathlon team, which we can get into. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's an interesting decision. And I think, you know, Everybody says that like the athlete dies twice. Like there's that there's that point where everybody hits, and for some people it's 
it's earlier so for some people it's later but it's that realization that like you know you can take those characteristics from your sport and you can be a pro in so many other fields like it's not just this one space that you can excel in Mm -hmm. and so it seems like you had that revelation like you know i could go this route but like the opportunities for like success are so much slimmer and this is like i have the academics i have the mindset i have the work ethic like this is a guarantee i'm going to take that and I'm pretty sure Queens is one of the best. Like it was business school you you went to there. It's probably like a top four business school in the country, right? Like, and so, no question, you made a great decision there. Um, what that first year at Queens? What was that like? Oh man, I mean, I think I was in over my head. Like I, yeah, it was it was just kind of pretty awesome opportunity to to do the the commerce program, but. You know, it, it's kind of, it's a group of 400 students and they choose kind of these high achievers. And once again, it's coming from like a high achiever, like high school to a high achiever university mm-hmm. subgroup, right? And it's like all the valedictorians and people that, you know, were like 17 years old or 16 years old and they've got three businesses already. I'm like, I feel like so out of place again. Like yeah. what the heck is going on here? But the same thing was like, I felt this sense of excitement of, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best person in the room, but that's the exact room you want to be in, right? Because mm-hmm. now you're going to learn, now you're going to challenge yourself, and now you're going to get things thrown at you at you that you might not have been prepared for. And to me, that happened to be my first year curriculum load. It was like, here's finance, economics, statistics, like all these crazy courses on like a pretty intense level. Yeah. Um, and they just throw this big workload at you that you have to manage and, and prioritize and get through. And decide what's important what's not like not as important to kind of make the most of the experience so yeah I was I was super excited but I was also nervous at the next four years and what that would look like and I felt like I was just you know jumping into the deep end again Mm -hmm. and so uh you you spoke on like triathlon is is you were saying like in high school you did a little bit of like cross country was that more like cross training for you or were you taking it pretty seriously then um, honestly, it was kind of for, more for fun. Like yeah. I just, I just love to, to kind of run and okay. I never like, I just showed up to cross country cause I had some good friends that were doing that team and it's like, this could be, you know, just a great way to stay in shape for hockey. And then eventually like started to love it and went to track meets and met some really cool people. And I felt like the difference between the hockey world and the running world was, was quite fast actually Mm -hmm. like you know love the hockey guys and it's just such a different mentality I think you know all the smartest kids at our school were also on the cross-country team Mm. I think it just requires a deeper level of discipline in its own in its own respect to get out self-motivated and like show up every day whereas you know hockey is kind of more team-oriented you're relying on other people to to kind of become better together and trust in the play um so it was this this combination of like team versus individual and, and kind of bridging the gap between the two that attracted me to, to cross country. Mm-hmm. But um, back to your question about like triathlon at, at Queens, like it's kind of a funny story on how, how I got into it. I mean, I never really did a triathlon before, but two of my buddies who I went to high school with went to Queens as well. We were like, like most students in first year, what clubs do we want to try? What, kind of what team should we try out for one of them's like let's go uh try out for this triathlon club (laughs) and I was like okay let's do it um so the the problem was one of the guys couldn't swim so he didn't make it past the swim test the other guy his bike tire popped in the bike so out of the three of us I was the only one that ended up crossing this line in the tryout and somehow (laughs) did all right and made the team and then I was like I really enjoyed that like I I found this was like three new disciplines that, you know, you're, you're getting better at or you could see yourself getting better at versus like something you already know and you're so familiar with. And it was this no, whole new challenge and then mm-hmm. um, decided to to do the team and really enjoyed it in my first year. And it was all sprint races that were no distance. Yeah. You know, all the races were 15-minute swim, 15-minute bike, 15-minute run and stationary. So it was this pool, 15 minutes, how far you can go. Then you get on a stationary bike, 15 minutes. Like they had this this uh-huh. metric, how fast and far you could go, and then 15 minutes around a track, and they would just create an algorithm to see like 
what your total score is depending on your speed and that's how you would win the race or place in the race crazy yeah and so like in comparison to like you know the ultra marathons that you're about to run like it's not very um tailored to that it's really just a completely different energy system but what you're learning is like how to discipline yourself to like master these three different disciplines within the sport like that's pretty cool yeah yeah, yeah. and i just like i kind of started really loving it i started loving getting into the pool and you know i, I pretty much couldn't swim it's <laughs> like yeah. i gotta learn how to swim now if i want to compete so wow. we just get better and better and then um yeah through through that team there was a guy that i would race head to head with named ben rudson and you know the next year he went off and came like 14th at kona which is mm -hmm. iron man championships in hawaii which okay. is this long distance kind of crazy thing and in my mind i was like this was otherworldly like how did this guy do that like i you know would compete head to head with him and he just kind of like over the summer, I guess, or over the next year, like put in this work, put in this discipline and was able to, to do something pretty incredible. And, and that just like lit a fire under me of like, mm. if he can do that, like I can do that. And I sent him a text and I was like, hey man, in like 2020, I'm gonna do my first Ironman. And this yeah. was like 2017, so it was like three years out, but I just like had planted the seed, right? And I was just like revisiting it over and over again. and then. Yeah. We'll get into how I got there later, but eventually did my first one and sent him a text back and was just like, thanks for the motivation, man. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Like, I think it, had you start le led with that, like, I'd be surprised, but like, based on your upbringing and kind of like having that chip through high school and like e even in business school, all those things, you've always had that mindset where it's like, well, if he can do it, I could probably do it and push myself to that level. So here we are, like, he's doing it. Hey, man, I'm going to try this next. Yeah. And, yeah, so we're five later. When you say like put in the work, like he was he put in the work that off season to like be prepared for this ultra marathon. What is that work? Yeah, I mean, I can speak from my experience, but like it's long hours. It's it's like it's not even the training, but it's it's the discipline of like saying no to people, you know? It's like you're mm -hmm. sacrificing your social life and maybe things you want to do. For this goal and i know to me like going in my first race i needed to isolate myself because i'm such a yes man i'm like if yeah. people are asking me yo you want to go out you want to do this like i'm going to say yes more often than not that's something i've been working on but like to do a, an iron man like you know you're doing 15 to 20 hours of training a week and that's a big adjustment for doing a sprint triathlon or doing you know something that you're training for like a half marathon it still requires a level of, of discipline but this is like a whole new extreme of three disciplines you know three times each week so mm. you're swimming three times a week you're biking three times a week and you're running three times a week if you want to make sure that you're not damaging your body when you go into race and you're like really prepared for that race so yeah it means like wow. early early a.m.s late p.m.s but um it becomes this like it becomes your hobby it becomes your your friends your social circle and like the kind of the people that you know you want to be around if if you're like trying to achieve something too yeah uh your first race was this after college or during um after yeah yeah so i guess like yeah so did the kind of queen's triathlon team in yeah. my first year and a bit of a bit of second year but I was also working like throughout university. So mm -hmm. I was working for a company called Labatt and, and doing like the, the Budweiser guy, you know, I was doing all yeah. this like beer promotions and marketing for Budweiser. So it was kind of this like catch 22 cause I was this social guy, you know, bringing people to bars and doing like cool activations and then waking up hungover in the pool to try and balance it too. And then Crazy. at a certain point I had to say like, no, like I, I want, like I have this goal, like I need to prioritize my vision, my mindset and like what I want to achieve. And it's hard, right? That's, that's the sacrifice. And that's like the things that you have to make those tough choices. But, you know, as I've done a few now, like, and you kind of have this similar mindset, you really start to pick out like your real friends and the people that you want they want to champion you to be that person and like mm -hmm. your real people 
are always going to be your friends and there's always going to be time to socialize. If anything, that's I learned there's always going to be another party. Absolutely. (laughs) So if you have something that you want to work towards, like put a date on it and like put your head down, start working and there's always going to be times to celebrate, but you got to put yourself first and it sounds selfish, but that's, I think that's such a, a key characteristic to get anything done. You have to be, you know, unapologetically selfish. Absolutely. And yeah, it's an interesting con- concept like with the friends is like you do really find out who your real friends are. Some people are with you, you know, the party, the promoting, all that good stuff. And then once they don't have that leverage on you or they're not getting anything from you directly, it's like they're not as supportive. Mm-hmm. But like it, it paints a clear picture of like who's really with you. And you want to make your circle small as you get older. So it's the right way to be. Um, diet wise. You're yeah. talking about like, you know, maybe like the habits when you're younger can be a little bit looser in terms of like going out late nights, early mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, how does nutrition play a role in that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's still, it's, it's a never ending learning curve and you read all these books and it's like, you know, the vegan diet, the carnivore diet, the keto diet. And you're like, how do I know what to even believe, what to, what to try, what to, not to try? Yeah. So to me, I, I think like a good kind of heuristic is like I won't I won't bash it until I try it, and I think that's just like a good open-minded thing. So I tried a lot of the different diets of you know being vegan for for over a month and seeing how it affects my body, um, kind of eliminating certain food groups. But the general principle like that I found and kind of like a triathlon mentor of mine. Um, his name's John Ragg. He's done 256 Ironmans, holds the record for the most, lives by, and it's um, the less legs, the better. So like a cow has, you know, four legs, red meat mm. isn't as great as a chicken, which has two legs. And, okay. Um, you know, a fish has zero legs, so a fish is like a little bit better for you than, than the two meat groups. And then, mm. you know, I think it's gradually progressing to this like more plant-based diet and a lot of athletes are kind of coming out and portraying this but I think it's to me like eating 80% clean um, and then you know 20% in in moderation is okay like it's okay to have a beer like I think you I think people take things a bit too far and too drastic but my Mm -hmm. personal refreshing way of thinking of it is like if you can eat 80% clean whatever that looks like um, you can still indulge 20% of the time or, you know, like live life too. Cause you want to have fun and you, you, it's the same with training. If you can train 80% hard, like 20% of your training could be, you know, like playing volleyball on the beach with your friends, like having a beer, like you can, you can live a little bit as well. And I think that totally. over the long run will keep you coming back. Yeah. It's like those those feelings and like the dopamine you get from eating. Sometimes like junkier foods, whatever. That's physiological too. So that's my like rationale for like eating like shit at times. It's like hey, like you got to treat yourself and you got to enjoy the process. Part of enjoying the process is like flavors for me. Yeah. You know, um, is that kind of you spoke on like going vegan for a while and then maybe stepping back from that? Is that kind of just like I love like all kinds of food, or was it like I, I've heard some people say like really good from an inflammation standpoint but from like a like energy standpoint it wasn't really doing it for me like yeah so I mean I'll be I'll be brutally honest like I'm not a great cook and I found um you know when I when I did the vegan diet maybe it's just a lack of creativity or or not reading enough cookbooks but I kind of came back to the same things you know I was doing like avocado toast for breakfast every day or you know, avocados for lunch on salad, like avocados as a supplementary, like finding legumes or beans or doing wraps. But eventually I kind of just kind of did the same thing over and over again. And I think there is a lot of merit in it. I did notice quite a difference in just terms of like feeling more energized. I did feel more energized, but what I found was like my stomach shrank. And so when I went back to eat like a food group, like meat, um, I noticed like my stomach didn't react very well and yeah. um, I was like kind of concerned that maybe that wasn't a healthy thing like I couldn't eat like after a while I couldn't eat like a proper meal I was just eating smaller and smaller and for the amount of volume and training I was doing it was 
is like kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to just kind of do what felt good for me and that was implementing, you know, pretty pretty clean diet, but I still enjoy chicken and flavors like you said and having like things that you're excited to eat every day and um yeah. Cool. Um where was your first uh Ironman race? Yeah, so I guess the I mean the story we kind of kind of jumped off, but yeah. After after I graduated from Queens, um, I went to work in the corporate world, and I went to work at Uber to help launch with Uber Eats in Toronto and Vancouver. Cool. Those were my markets, um, and I loved that. I had, I had such a great time and met a lot of really cool people who are like some of my closest friends to date. And it was about a year and just under a year and a half that I had this like burning desire to do this triathlon, this Ironman. Um, and so I, I did a bunch of research, found, you know, if I was going to do this, I wanted it to be super special. I didn't think I would do more than one, but as I did my research, found New Zealand, won the gold, gold label award for the best triathlon experience. Mm. I decided how can I either move with work to New Zealand or get there to do the race. And so I signed up for New Zealand, had it on the calendar, and now I was like trying to transfer internally with Uber um, was proved to be like pretty bureaucratic, so it was hard to get that kind of transfer. So I decided mm. that I would leave and still pursue the dream, which was a really tough decision because I, I loved my job and I loved the people, but yeah. I just knew that I had to do this. So I decided to leave. I moved to New Zealand. I didn't know a single person when I went there, and I lived in a dry hostel because I knew I, I didn't want to be, you know, surrounded by people partying all the time and. I uh, just kind of need to find my bearings, understand the landscape, and p figure out an area that I could live in and train in, and decided to join this local triathlon club. Um, and in a really weird roundabout way, Uber, one month later, was launching Jump, which is electric bikes and scooters. Hmm. And I, uh, I rejoined them to help with the launch, so rejoined Uber in a funny manner, in a, in like a new cool project. but. Uh, yeah, so trained and lived in New Zealand for six months leading up to the race. Um, and the first one was pretty special, but that was yeah, March 7th, 2020, pretty much a week just before the pandemic hit. Wow. Yeah. So that's, I'm trying to think of the ultra marathon. It's, it's 5K swim, is that right? 3.8K swim. 3.8, uh, 140K bike. 180k bike. Oh my goodness. 42k run. Yeah, that's something else. So, when you're when you you're saying like three times a week for each discipline, um, for training, do you go to that level every day? No, not not necessarily. I think like with most training, what I've learned is like intensity rules. Like the more intense your workout can be, like mm -hmm. the more efficient you know your your results will be and the less strain you'll have on your, your muscles or your body. Right. Um, so to me, it's kind of like maximizing the time that I could put into the training. So I think like, you know, for running, for example, out of the three sessions, one session would be a long run. And that okay. long run, you know, might be, you know, two hours or, or 21 kilometers up to kind of that that benchmark 20 to 21 to 30 kilometers um but you're never doing like the full distance of yeah. what the race would be and then on like a sunday a long ride would be anywhere from four to five hours so you're trying to do you know minimum 100 kilometer bike ride to replicate the time in the saddle that you'll be in the race hmm. um and then in the pool most of it is actually technique based so i don't really focus so much on distance it's more about like getting a better technique and then getting out once a week or once every other week to do an open water swim, get yeah. like the real life experience of waves coming in, sighting with the sun, kind of like breathing in a certain manner and replicate as much as you can um, for what that race day might look like. Yeah, I might look decent swimming in a wave pool, but like open water <laughs> is a different beast. So I can only imagine. Man, so like when I first when I first signed up for the Ironman, I literally YouTubed how to swim. Like, yeah. I would, my legs would be like this in the pool, and I would just sink. And I'm like, 
this is going to be a long, long process. And even today, and I, I've done, you know, five Ironmans now. And I, I was in the pool this morning before work and I was just like, I swear this never gets easier. Like, yeah. why do I keep doing this? But I don't know. It, it becomes like something that has become a part of me. And, and you find like, I find swimming very therapeutic. It's like one time where you can just like be in your own lane no distractions um, and like just think about your breath and I think breath work is such an underrated uh, kind of discipline to work on and you know I've been working with a breath coach for the last eight months and every Tuesday I go to something called a sound bath which is pretty much you lie in this in this room on a mat and there's this lady in the middle with Tibetan drums hmm. and she hits them with the mallets making sound waves and there's a guy um, who sits on the other side of the room and kind of talks you through how to breathe into the sound waves. Mm. And I found like the mental clarity you get from that has been like unparalleled to anything I've ever experienced. And I think it, it, it opened my mind to like the idea of a flow state. And when you're competing, how to get into a flow state, tap into it and utilize it to your, to your advantage to, to kind of get through those, those tough challenges. Yeah. Um, speaking of like I guess that would be that flow state is like if we're what feels like past our threshold and you know that that point where kind of the legs just start moving on their, on its own mm -hmm. like is that like is that the runner's high I, I'm not an endurance runner so I'm trying to like tap into kind of like obviously you're running forever you're biking forever you're swimming forever so there's got to be a point where Anytime I'm running a 5K, like, my legs just shut off, and it's mind over matter. Mm -hmm. So, like, that breath work is for that kind of point. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. Like, to me, you know, and there's this kind of, this quote, it's, like, 90% mental, and then the 10% is in your head. So, it's, it's like, 100% mental, which is not actually the case. Like, you need to put in the work to train. But when it comes to racing and endurance, like, it really is this mental battle of, can you take one more step further? Like, when you're hurting... Do you give up or, or do you do you take that step further? And it's kind of like a, a metaphor for life. Like if you're mm -hmm. faced with a challenge or an obstacle or you're tired, but you have to do something, are you going to push it off to tomorrow or are you going to take a step further and get it done? And I think like the more steps you can take further, obviously the farther you'll, you'll go, right? But back to your question of flow state, like it's this euphoric feeling of tapping into this bliss of like, my mind, my body are connected and we're going through something like that you visualized and, and like, you know, you knew you were going to do and it, it hurts, but it's kind of like, it's so hard to describe, but it's just a euphoric feeling of like purpose and fulfillment. And mm -hmm. I think like people find that with meditation or other elements of their life, but I don't know, like you played pro ball like if you ever get the ball in your hand and you're just hot like on your game you know you're sinking every shot like what's different like you you have something that clicked in your brain that's that's helping you like translate that into your physical output right so yeah when you talk about like flow state like it's kobe that i've heard talk about that the most and mm -hmm. like for him it comes through those reps and like not just reps physically like taking the shots or whatever it's it's also like the med the mindful meditation and putting yourself kind of into that zone and so that's probably a big part of your practice too is like even if i'm not at my max capacity that would be in the iron man it's that like when i'm in re respective practice in the pool and like running you know half the distance i need to channel what it would feel like and kind of visualize that yeah yeah and you talk about it's cool stuff kind of reps and practice right and i think like the underlying kind of practice for for flow state is like doing things doing things that are hard you know and to me that's like taking a cold shower or mm. you know waking up on your first alarm and like the more i can do those things that are hard the easier it is to push through like a hard physical or mental kind of barrier in a race and an Ironman or, or in life in general. So I think like putting the practice in of like getting out and doing that run when you really don't want to do it. It's like the hardest thing, but it's also the most rewarding, the most fulfilling and the most impactful. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, for 
those that aren't like competing in the Ironmans, I don't want to say every day, but just everybody else, right? Uh, what would be like the one kind of selling point or like elevator pitch for mental toughness or like um, meditation? Hmm. Yeah, I think to me it's it's different for everyone, but I think like if I mean, it comes, I mean, even back kind of off off topic a little bit, but back to goal setting, and I think like if your goal doesn't scare you then it's not the right goal for you. I think you should you should try and choose things that scare you or challenge you a little bit and, and kind of put, put yourself outside of that comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but when it comes back to mindfulness and like being, being aware of what you're doing, I think to me it's really about like intentions and setting, living an intentional life. And like to me living an intentional life means knowing what I'm going to do each day and not like kind of go through it aimlessly, which I think I, you know, was a culprit of and I'm still a culprit of. And I think a lot of people, you know, just kind of go day to day and don't really think about what, like who they're going to talk to or what they're going to, who they're going to meet or what they're going to say or what they're going to do. And it could be as simple as writing something down of, you know, one thing, what, what are you going to do today? Mm -hmm. Um, what do you want to get done today? And it doesn't have to be this grandiose goal, right? It doesn't have to be, an Ironman or, or like starting a business. It could literally be like, I want to say hi to one new person today. If yeah. you're, if you're, you know, working on your, your confidence or you're working on like a weakness you want to turn into a strength. Like to me, like I didn't love socializing with a lot of people before. And, and that's why I think like Ironman is like a very like, individualized sport for for the most part right it's mm -hmm. like solitude and grinding for a long period of time but like going on a bus and like talking to your neighbor versus looking at your phone on the way to work you yeah. know it's like small things like that that um kind of put you outside your element and yeah. help you so you said like intention and then like accountability mm -hmm. and giving yourself that every day and yeah no that's powerful stuff um with the second Ironman, where'd you go? Yeah, so the second one was Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. <laughs> so that one was, um, you know, during the during the pandemic, and I think another kind of challenge to this journey so far has been dealing with ambiguity and dealing with uncertainty and things being changed last minute or, you know, kind of like mm -hmm. this idea of stay ready all the time. You have to be ready. You have to be kind of putting in the work so you can make it happen. So I was scheduled for Penticton and just outside of Vancouver here mm -hmm. for, I think it was September 26th, and they canceled the race. And this was like the third race I've had canceled, you know, with the pandemic going on. And um, they gave an offer to do a transfer and Chattanooga was the same date, September 26th. And I was like, I'm going to go. I got to yeah. get back on track. I've been putting in way too much work not to do a race. And like, um, it was one of the most like surprising little places, you know, yeah. the people were incredible. Um, the town was like super fun. They have this like big train station called Chattanooga Choo Choo. And like, <laughs> it's just like such a, such a unique place in the world. And I think that's where, um, the stories come from and, and like the excitement of this whole journey has been you go to places and meet people you wouldn't proactively or think of top of mind. You know, I would probably yeah. never would have gone to Chattanooga, but I'm so glad I did. I met some cool people. I, I learned about a place I've never learned before. Um, and kind of, I mean, aside from, from the race, like it's <laughs> kind of random story, but their biggest kind of like attraction is the Chattanooga Aquarium okay <laughs> and they reached out to me they heard about like my story of coming down to do to do these races in each continent and they invited me to do a tour but i didn't know i was gonna dress up in my wetsuit and like oh. walk around the aquarium in my wetsuit that's funny <laughs> so it was just like i don't know things like that that sounds so silly but giving like props or knuckles to little kids because i'm in this like tri suit and just looking so out of place is like so much humor in it that yeah. I'll remember, you know, and, and it's like the, the things outside of the actual race that, that hold a lot of merit to me in this story of discovering who, who I'm, 
who I want to be or, or what I'm going to be. So, mm-hmm. and like in the sense of like, or in the theme of like community and culture, do you find like the like Iron Man community is like well connected? Yeah, yeah. I think it's you know it's it's a pretty small world in the Iron Man community. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, it, it's it's a hard thing to do. So it it attracts a certain type of person that wants to put in the work to become like a better version of themselves. And I think there's there's so many different realms of life that you can. But what appealed me to the most, or the the community, was like not only were these people doing well in these races or able to push through these races back to this like business mindset was like all of the people that I met were like the same discipline translated to whatever they were doing in their personal career. Mm. And I found that out of any sport I've ever played or, or participated in, these were the highest achievers I've ever met. You yeah. know, most people that were doing this sport were either entrepreneurs running their own business or high-level executives at whatever company and some part of me was like this is this is really cool like it's really cool to see like all these like-minded people coming together um what what apps do you use do you are you on the strava app (laughs) i'm like you're talking about like tinder or something yeah no 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 are you single no no i'm i'm in a happy relationship lucky girl yeah <laughs> um yeah no i was, I was just curious because like I, got, I recently got on the strava app and i was like just amazed by how like the detail of it i can see everybody that's ran a race in this random park in my neighborhood and so like the amount of tech and like gadgets that are involved in the space is like mind-blowing yeah yeah there's some awesome ones man yeah. i'm definitely on strava i found my girlfriend and i actually met on strava funny story cool um but yeah, there's like, there's challenges. You can see your roots. Um, it's like such a great discovery tool for uh, new places, um, new roots. Like, you know, I moved to Vancouver a year ago and kind of used that as my inspiration to find new bike routes or new run routes or new mm-hmm. trail kind of excursions and all the challenges you can do on the app. I think it's fantastic. Um, some of the other ones, um, apps slash gadgets, I use... Uh, a band called Whoop, W H O O P. I think I've heard of it. Like, m- tracks your like recovery and things like that. Yeah, sleep. Yeah, so it tracks your sleep, and it's kind of it, it's modeled after after like three kind of tiers or circles of like a red ring, yellow ring, and green ring, and you want to okay. be kind of optimizing for your green ring. So, look at your like physiological state, your sleep patterns, your heart rate, your respiratory rate, and like give you an overall score based on like your workouts and your sleep and the food you're putting into your body or the Mm -hmm. alcohol. And, um, I found that was pretty, pretty helpful for me to just kind of have an idea of how much rest or recovery I should be taking, um, between, between exercise. The thing that kind of got to me though, was like not getting enough sleep and reading that I wasn't getting enough sleep, you know, previously you wake up, you know, you like, roughly whatever you went to bed late and you got up early you didn't have enough sleep you just kind of push through it right you just like go through the day but seeing like oh you got four hours and 17 minutes of sleep the whole day I was thinking about that I'm like man like I'm so tired like yeah. why, why so I've I've recently gone off of it but I think that probably could be a good indicator to tell me to get more sleep for it but um yeah those are two two apps that I really liked yeah and um, what about like body composition? Since we're on the topic of like measurables, um, do you like to be like a certain weight when you run? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think like I'm you know six two, almost six three, um, kind of like a larger build for a typical triathlete or ultra ultra runner. Um, I think my my ideal weight is kind of between one eighty to one eighty five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of like walking around right now, at like a 190, 195. Yeah. So like kind of this threshold of five to 10 pounds, give it. Um, but yeah, I think like it's important to, to do it in a healthy manner, you know, like eat, eat, eat as much as you can. That's going to help you sustain the hours that you put in and, um, kind of taper off accordingly to the upcoming race. 
Yeah. And then, um, yeah, we talked about like an ideal weight. Yeah. But essentially, um, is there like a time in which you peak? So like you start, you start off at, um, you know, a certain capacity and intensity for training. Do you taper off or do you kind of max all the way until? Yeah. Compete day, competition day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great question. I think like typically I would say, yes, you should taper, but the nature of kind of the goal I'm going after of becoming the youngest person to do an Ironman on six continents and schedule that I was given, Hmm. I had to do three Ironmans in three months, which is pretty short window. So after Chattanooga, my, my third one was in Mallorca, Spain, and that was three weeks after. Oh, there's not, there's not much time to recover. Right. And by the time you fly home and and kind of get ready for the next one, it's like, you you barely get on your bike again. So (laughs) it's kind of maintaining this, maintaining this, like always, always ready kind of mindset and like physical kind of benchmark and, and baseline. But to answer your question, like I think a good way to think about training for any race in Ironman or um, a marathon or half marathon or 10K or 5K is like in 10-week blocks. I think it's such a digestible mm. amount of time. Um, you know, two and a half months, you're working out hard. You can, you can, you can comprehend 10 weeks. And then kind of the week or two prior to the race is your taper off. And, you know, the week before a race, like an Ironman, and to me, a lot of it is visualization and, and kind of like, visualizing what I'm going to be doing if I'm able to get to the race location a couple of days before, like, like either driving the bike route or jumping in the water to feel what the water temperature is like, um, or walking the run, run route is like, so there's no surprises, right? There's no like mental jumps when you're doing it on race day. Like mm-hmm. things are kind of familiar and the more familiar, the more comfortable, the better you can execute. But yeah, 10 weeks is not, like, enough time to train for an Ironman. Like, I'd say if it's somebody's, you know, first Ironman, depending where you're at, like, most people will take six months to a year mm-hmm. to train properly. Um, but generally, I think, like, 10-week blocks is a great way to, to digest any race that you're, you're training towards. 10 weeks. Uh, what about, like, recovery? So you're saying, like, in a space that, you know, you have three weeks to compete, really that's probably all you can focus on is like I've destroyed my body in terms of like micro tears and et cetera. Like, do you go to physio? Do you have your own kind of like tools and stuff that you use the most? Like, what does that look like? I mean, I, I should, Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I was, I just turned 26, but 25 when I did five Ironmans and, you know, still very new to the whole endurance mm-hmm. realm. And I think to me, it was like, kind of this just throw myself in the deep end and, and for a lot of it like I probably could have you know done more training done more research done more preparation mm-hmm. but my whole philosophy on life is like learn by doing and you'll learn you'll you'll fail quickly but you'll learn quickly absolutely and to me I kind of just like jumped in and said I'm gonna figure it out and similar to you know going to St. Mike's going to Queens like I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do these Ironmans because I want to see the world. I want to meet interesting people. I don't know how I'm like going to fund it. I'm going to find sponsors. I don't know how I'm going to get to each place. I'm going to work while I train and, and while I do it. But all I knew is like, I'm going to do it. So it's kind of, once you know you want to do something mm-hmm. like work backwards so I knew I was going to do six. And I'm like, let's work backwards. Whatever it takes. If a race gets canceled, like, I'm going to the next one. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to put in the work, and I'm going to make it happen. Um, so it just it really comes back to this mindset, and maybe it's a delusional optimist. Like, you think things are going to work out, and sometimes they don't. But more often than not, like, they will. Yeah. It's that concept of, like, execution over any over everything like even if something doesn't work out you're learning something from that and you'll take it to the next yeah just keep moving forward yeah so i mean yeah after you know the second the second race um chattanooga i my goal for the second one was to kind of set a personal best and and break the 12 hour mark my first race was 12 hours nine minutes the second one i wanted to beat 12 hours and um did that got 11 hours 52 minutes 
And then the third yeah. one, you know, Mallorca was like three weeks after. I was like, yeah. oh man, like this is gonna be tough. My body was pretty murked because I pushed it to the to the limits to to, to kind of get your PB, get my PB, and yeah. um, going into the next one, like recovery was a huge focus for me. It's like. I got, I did, I did do massage. I did do like lots of stretching, ate like proper foods, um, prioritized sleep as much as I could. Um, and it, it's probably, it probably wasn't enough, but back to accomplishing anything, like you're never going to be fully ready to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. So it's like make the most of what you have and, and what you can do. So I decided like, yeah, I'm going to go and, and do this. Like, I had to, it was another like off month race. Like I was scheduled for another race in Europe, but the continent opened up and the timing of the world with the pandemic allowed for this short window. And it's like, okay, I mean, I'm going to do it. This is what's going to happen. And then, yeah, not to go on a tangent, but like then the next one we're here for. Yeah. (laughs) Now the next one was like, now, now that's three down, three to go. The next one, Ironman Africa, South Africa, was six week, five or six weeks after after that one. That one. So three and three months: September, October, November. Um, and I was like, okay, let's do it. Like I learned from the last one. I've you know crossed the line in Mallorca, which at the time was the hardest one I've done. Mm. Um, executionally proved to be quite a challenge like my nutrition didn't work out so well the bottling of my bike didn't work out so well my bike actually broke so I had to figure out a new bike for that race um anyways like learned a lot and and that's kind of this whole process but going into Ironman number four in South Africa I was a little bit more prepared I knew what kind of what to expect now that I've done three I had my nutrition game on lock I kind of knew mentally that I could do this. And I think that's the huge advantage going into any race was like most people psych themselves out. And that's kind of when, you know, things go wrong. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know if I have enough nutrition. I don't know if I have enough X, Y, Z. And then things go sideways. But going into Africa, I felt pretty pretty confident that I knew what to expect. I studied the race course. Um, but it was like a crazy, crazy day. Like it was... <laughs> like a crazy windstorm and mm. you know the pros go out first right and you watch them and you're lined up on the beach and the waves are like it was like call of duty map there's a helicopter patrolling over the over the ocean or the bay nelson mandela bay and it's like the the waves are almost six feet washing these athletes back and these are like Jeez. the best people and you're like i gotta go into this yeah. you know people are like crossing their legs because they're so scared it's like well, okay let's let's go but um crazy. Yeah, and it's a then, good visual. Yeah, it was yeah. it was cool. Um, what is like the biggest like take home from these first like five races? I think that all of us are so capable of so much more than we think we are. Mm-hmm. To me, you know, we we have these perceptions that we can only achieve so much and there's these kind of four four walls around us we build and i think that's just through society as a whole and i don't know to me it's like what i found is i think the world needs more dreamers now than ever with you know being divided wars going on pandemics going on like suicide rates at all-time high people are like are confused they don't know what's going on and i think that we need people to step up and especially young people that have big dreams and big goals, whatever they are, and like motivate their peer groups to, to keep going and motivate people if they can get through the next 24 hours together, they can get through whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what I'm learning and, and through this environment of kind of pushing my body and myself, like doing the Ironmans is is almost secondary like it's it's been so rewarding to do them like physically but like secondary to the outcome of the journey i'm setting myself on and Mm -hmm. and that's like the lessons i learn the cultures i get to experience the different types of people i get to meet and the stories i get to share and tell is like 
what I'm kind of seeking. And right now I feel lost. Like, I don't know who, like what I, where I'm heading, what I'm supposed to do. Like, you know, I was in a corporate world, like kind of all respects, like had a stable job and I left to chase some crazy dream, but it just feels right. And yeah. I, I don't know where it's going to lead or, or what it's going to lead to, but I do know it feels right. And I think more people should chase their dreams. Absolutely. Yeah, like like you're saying, like there's a lot of activism, but there's not a lot of action. Mm. And like you're a prime example of kind of leading and and being a leader through action, doing exactly what you set yourself up to do and kind of your, what you set your mind to and just continuing to go, right? Um, kind of like back on like the entrepreneurial side or like the business side of things. Like you left school and you ended up at Uber. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of like pushed you that direction? Yeah, I think, uh, uh, I mean, my, I guess, experiences prior to that, you know, uh, and I, I, don't, I don't really talk about it too much, but I think it's important now, like, to, to, to be open about is, like, when I was younger, I did modeling, and I lived, like, in Italy from 16 to 19, and cool. something I was always, like, self-conscious about, but was also a cool experience. I got to meet, like, really cool people from all parts of the world mm -hmm. and you know i lived in this model bunk with eight other guys in yep. one bathroom and like saw things that i never thought i would see but it was like it was this whole idea of like seeing seeing the world and then when i went to queens like it was this huge shift to all these like corporate kind of mindsets and business mindsets right and so naturally all my friends in first year i went and did modeling in, in Italy my first year. And then I was seeing everyone was working at, you know, the big banks or the big consulting firms. And I think back to this thing, like you become a product of your environment this next summer. I was like, okay, I, I, I got to try and like find an internship at a bank. Yep. And so that summer I did an internship at a bank in capital markets. And it was like banging my head against the wall. Cause I was like, this is not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. But you also back to like learning by doing, you learn what you like, you learn what you don't like. So the second summer or third summer, I guess, like, um, I switched all my courses to marketing and sales because that's kind of what I was gravitating towards and did an internship at an experiential marketing agency. So it was a complete 180, but I learned, like, so much in that, in, like, in that summer internship. Yeah. Um, and then going into my final year, I kind of realized, like, you know, I took a, I took, like, a, a sales course um, with this professor, Jim Hamilton. And I think like sales is, is kind of gets a bad rep, right? It's like pushy, but really it's like uncovering value and mutual value for, mm -hmm. for two parties and like helping people. And I found like, that was like an area I would like to kind of explore. But I also think on a, on a bigger level, it's like the number one skill set that's transferable whatever career or whatever you go into, you have to sell something like yourself, right? In, a, in an interview, you have to sell yourself, you have to be presentable. So I thought like, this would be a great way just to start my career, quote unquote, and learn about like sales as a whole and specifically, you know, in the tech sector, because mm -hmm. that kind of was interesting to me. And um, yeah, so I started applying to all these different jobs and um, one guy, who went to Queens a couple of years older, was working at Uber at the time and he jumped on like a phone call and he kind of told me all about it. And, you know, there was a small team at the time. I think I was number 17 on the Uber Eats team when I joined. Oh. Um, and in that year, uh, we went, we grew three offices. Mm -hmm. So we went from 17 to 43 people in just over a year and moved three offices and kind of being early on and seeing this growth, it like, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about just the business world and, and kind of all the different kind of things that go behind the scenes to make, you know, a user experience happen that, you know, Uber is now a verb and like people use it every day. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. Totally. Into it. Is, is it true that, um, Uber owns Lime? Yeah. 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 So jump, um, which was Uber's kind of electric vehicle vertical. Yeah. Uh, Lime acquired the business operations portion of Jump, and gotcha. then I feel like now, by now, they've taken over. So, but there was a time where you could open 
a Lime app and see both Lime and Uber scooters or jump scooters or, mm-hmm. or vice versa on the Uber app. Um, but yeah, I think it is one entity now. Yeah, you're you're speaking about like kind of launching like the jump in New Zealand, right? Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came to mind was like um, just like the college situation with Lime scooters in the states mm. and like. What is it? I, I love Lime. Like when I when I was in Montreal, I love the concept. Like they're every or they were everywhere before pandemic. You could just like hop on one and take it wherever you want to. Um, but I know in the states they had some issues with that. Like people would just take them and leave them wherever and like the like the GPS and things like that. Like yeah you know? yeah. It was like I mean when I when I say I like worked you know kind of on the ground like. <laughs> as much as it, it sounds cool like it wasn't a glamorous role at all i, I was mm. like in the trenches in this warehouse like my title at the time when i first started was a field technician so i was literally building these scooters you know like mm. putting the stickers on testing the brakes putting the wheels together um and like waking up at 4 a.m and did a shift work from 4 a.m to 1 p.m reason mm. being 4 a.m to get the tr- scooters charged and then get them into the city before people would take them to work. Wow. Right? And then so I'd go 4 a.m., do this, and eventually, like, moved up to, like, a lead field technician, which essentially was, like, helping um, make the processes a bit smoother and working with public policy to get, like, designated zones where we could drop off more scooters. But, yeah, it was, like, doing 4 a.m. to 1 p.m., going home, sleeping, then waking up and training for this Ironman for six Mm -hmm. months. And... It comes just back to like the the prior, prioritizing um, what's important to you, but yeah, um, you know, there's always a cliche saying that like athletes make good like uh, employees in the corporate world. But mm-hmm. like, can you speak to that? Like, you know, being like having been that person like firsthand, like what kind of characteristics as an athlete uh, help you to be successful in that space? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's like like learning with a team and working with a team, you know, being an athlete and like both an individual contributor, but also like on a, on a hockey team where you're, it's like all about the team, you know, in a work function, it's usually a team effort. Right. And like, you have to be kind of an expert in your field, but you're contributing to a greater cause. So I think there's a lot of transferable skill sets of like being a team player, um, you know, acting like an owner, like all these kind of, things that the workplace looks for you learned when you were younger that you might not have been able to articulate mm-hmm. um but are naturally there and, and then the, you hone in on them but i think to me like naturally being an athlete and it's i mean everyone is an athlete if you can move you're you're an athlete right. you know i think like you're innately competitive you're innately like have this desire to do well and achieve and be a high achiever and i think that's something that employers look for is somebody that's driven motivated gritty but can work in a team um and if you can compile those then i think you can be successful but the counter and and like a a lesson i think worth noting is like when you want to climb like to climb with you know open arms and not sharp elbows and i think just the metaphor of that of like building others as you build yourself is so important and you know in my own journey like learning to highlight and and celebrate all the people that have helped me to to get to this like races you know i couldn't have done it on my own and i think it's so important to like call out those people and like talk about them and like the impact they've had on you and yeah absolutely um just sort of a wrap up a couple questions that i like to ask everybody i think we had some good answers in the past just um this this first one's a little weird but if i was to go to your house or your place right now uh, what would I find in there that I probably wouldn't find at others? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, well, I mean, right now I'm living on my brother's couch, so <laughs> probably I have this. Uh, I have this little book called um, "Why Don't You" by Josh Lynott, hmm. and. It's kind of like a picture book with quotes, and then it, it asks you to fill in some of the quotes of like your own personal achievements or cool. your own kind of goals. And I think that's just like something I keep on the table to 
to look back on and reflect on and and look forward to as well when I come home to just like get some inspiration when I need it. Awesome. Um, if you could live inside of any movie, what would it be, or which one would it be, and why? Oh man, I think um, I think Inception. Mm. Yeah, it's just so multi-layered and um it's it's pretty much a dream within a dream within a dream and i think that's kind of a depiction of being a delusional optimist that you're always chasing a dream well said um to like your your younger self uh do you have a message for him would you change anything keep it all the same um i don't think i would change anything i think back to everything is kind of like a learning opportunity and kind of molds you your your experiences good and bad so the message though i think would be to anyone is like focus on your life resume not your paper resume and what i mean by that is like a degree is great accolades are great but they don't define you i think your experiences and um you know your failures actually help define you whether that's trying a startup trying a club or traveling and and recognizing like also you like the privilege to be able to do so but to to take it if you have an opportunity to go out and and travel a little bit that's awesome well that's a bar no thanks for coming out connor i really appreciate it i think we've had there's so much content here that people can learn from really inspirational and you still have one more to go yeah next month okay so uh where's that going to be uh, it's called Florianopolis, Brazil. Brazil. Wow. Okay. Well, all the best of luck to you. And again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me.